Well, today we are going to talk about parenting. <laughs> and um, because I couldn't fit it in anywhere in my sermon, I've decided to just open with a story even though I couldn't find a place for it. So one of my favorite stories about my oldest son, Aaron, uh, who's now 13 and just became extremely angry. Uh, <laughs> Is when he was about five or six years old, uh, we had a uh, tornado warning. Now, when we have tornado warnings, my family goes to the basement. My mom and dad recline in their chairs and laugh at the people who are going to their basement. So, I'm sure they were over at their house having a good laugh. Uh, thinking of uh, me and my family huddled in the basement. But anyway, uh, we, we figure that's what they tell you to do when there's a warning, and so that's what we do. So we were huddled in the basement. We were kind of uh, under our basement steps. Yeah, don't, don't try to figure that out too much, but uh, we were kind of under our basement steps. So it's me, Michelle, Aaron, uh, Austin was probably one or two, and our fidgety dog. And uh, Aaron is very concerned he, he is convinced, as is Michelle, that the tornado is going to hit our house. And, uh, and so he looks up at us with his eyes just real big, and he says, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know I love you in case this is the last. <laughs> Isn't that a good memory? That was just so sweet, so precious. He doesn't say things quite like that now, but... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, you have good moments, and then you have other moments. You've noticed this, right? Yes. All right, now we're entering into the sermon. All right. You know, among Christians, there are a few uh, Bible verses that uh, are the most frequently cited when the uh, topic of conversation turns to parenting. And uh, most of these, at least, yeah, I would say most of them, uh, are within the book of Proverbs. So, one of those that's often cited, much less frequently today than it was when I was a kid, uh, is Proverbs 13.24, uh, which says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful uh, to discipline him. And, you know, I would say that in spite of the squeamishness of our culture uh, on this topic of Spanking, or whatever term you might want to use, corporal punishment, I think is what it's often been called. Uh, I think, uh, for whatever it's worth to you, that uh, for those of us who are concerned with being good parents, there are times when such discipline may be necessary. So today it only took me 30 seconds to offend uh, somebody. Uh, that's probably a record. I think it's probably a record. Uh, but if you are offended by that, let me just remind you that it is in the Bible. This isn't Brian speaking, this is uh, Bible speaking. Uh, I will say, though, that I think that uh, discipline is where the real emphasis of this uh, passage is, much, so, uh, much more so than the means of discipline. Uh, so what I think is most important is finding discipline that works. If you find another form of discipline, that, that's great. Uh, if you find something that falls short of the rod, then that's really good news. 
But if not, then a little discomfort to the backside may be in order. That's kind of seems as though the way the backside is designed, like maybe it was designed for that. So... um, (laughs) Uh, Another uh, frequently cited verse uh, also deals with this method of discipline. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14 say, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. And then it goes on and says, Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. And so... The Proverbs seem to think that, that when necessary, this is an appropriate thing to do. Uh, again, I think the emphasis is on the importance of discipline, but I see no way around concluding that this God-inspired book of wisdom, Proverbs, comes down on the side of a little physical discomfort being appropriate when it is warranted uh, to discipline uh, a child. But the most cited verse in the Bible, at least from my own observations, the gold standard Bible verse on parenting, the go-to verse on parenting for Christians is Proverbs 22.6. It should be on the screen. Here's what it says. Train a child in the way he or she should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And you know, this is really good advice. It really is gold standard advice. It it is the most often quoted scripture on parenting for a reason. It is excellent God-inspired instruction on parenting. However, I believe that there are two not entirely accurate ways uh, that this verse is often I would say usually used. The first not entirely accurate application of the verse is when a parent whose child is really well-mannered, really well-behaved, just an all-around good kid, uses this verse as absolute incontrovertible proof of their exemplary parenting and how it has produced these absolutely wonderful children. Or when parents whose kids are grown and are doing really well, the kid has a good job, he's respected in the community, he lives in a nice home, he just seems to be or she an all-around responsible person, and those parents pat themselves on the back and very confidently know that they were great parents. Now, I say not entirely accurate because when kids are doing well, when kids have turned out well, it is very likely that the parents should feel good about their parenting. That's very likely. It is most likely true that while there are no perfect parents, that these people were good parents. They did a good job. They may have done a great job. It might also be true that they just had easy kids. It might also be true that they just had exceptionally compliant children. It might also be true that their kids turned out well in spite of them. It might also be true that they just got lucky. 
Sometimes this verse, improperly understood, convinces a parent who isn't so great that they really are pretty great. And sometimes good parents unintentionally become puffed up because they are convinced that this verse teaches that in every case, if a child is trained correctly, the child will turn out good and godly. And so even a good parent can become filled with inappropriate pride and look down on another parent whose kids are not so well-behaved, not doing so good, have not turned out so well. A danger for parents of good kids. A danger for parents whose grown kids have turned out really well is that they can very easily become unjustifiably judgmental toward parents for whom it is not going so well. And in many ways, both spoken and unspoken, these good parents communicate to someone whose kids are struggling, if you were just a better parent, your kids would be okay. It's your fault that your kids are this way. And this leads to the second, not entirely accurate application of the proverb. Parents whose children are not doing so well have not turned out well. Maybe they're misbehaving at school. Uh, Maybe they've become very disrespectful. Maybe they're getting bad grades. Maybe they've grown up and become irresponsible adults. Maybe they're living in serious sin. Maybe they have some kind of addiction. Maybe they have rejected their childhood faith. These parents read this proverb and often conclude that the condition of their children is proof of their failure. Proof that they were poor parents and they come under tremendous condemnation. They come under tremendous guilt. Now again, I say not entirely accurate application because sometimes these feelings of guilt are warranted. Sometimes a parent really is doing a bad job with their young children and they need to to face up to that. Sometimes a parent really did do a bad job uh, and their adult children are messed up at least in part because of them, and they need to face that. But children who are struggling, grown children who, at least as they are right now, have not turned out good and godly, do not necessarily mean that a parent has done a bad job. It does not necessarily mean that that person has failed as a parent. In fact, I want to make a couple of statements that I believe a number of parents Uh, here today, may need to hear. I I sense this, I believe, from the Holy Spirit, and here they are. You can be a great parent and your child be struggling. You could have done a wonderful job as a parent, even though your adult child has not turned out good and godly, at least not yet. A godly mom and dad, a godly home environment does not guarantee godly kids. Brian, you might be saying, how can you say this? The Bible clearly says, you just read it, that if a child is trained in the way he or she should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. How can you say what you're saying? Well, we need to properly understand the book of Proverbs. If we understand Proverbs correctly, 
Parents who have allowed the fact that their children have turned out well to fill them with pride will see that A, their pride might be unwarranted, and B, that even if they did a good job, they should not use Proverbs 22.6 to judge those parents whose kids have not turned out quite as well. And if we understand Proverbs correctly, parents whose kids aren't doing so well, parents who are struggling with guilt will see that A, they certainly should examine themselves and see if there's something that they need to improve on or something they need to apologize for, but B, their guilt might be completely unwarranted and something that God wants to set them free from. And I sense that there are some really good parents in this room whose kids are struggling. Right now, the verdict does not look good. You are struggling with guilt. You might even be consumed with guilt. And I believe that God wants to set you free from that guilt today. We need to properly understand Proverbs. First of all, it is important for us to know that Proverbs are not promises. They are not guarantees on how things will turn out. Now, they're often used by Christians this way, but that doesn't make it so. They're not promises. Throughout the book of Proverbs, we are told that righteous people are honored and respected. We are told that the plans of the wicked fail. We are told that diligence leads to prosperity and that laziness leads to poverty. Yet we know from experience that sometimes righteous people, sometimes righteous people are not honored. They may even be despised. We we know from experience that sometimes wicked people succeed. We know from experience that sometimes people are diligent and still lose everything they own. And we know from experience that sometimes lazy people strike it rich. That's an annoying one, isn't it? (laughs) And, And yet, it happens. And so let me give some specific examples from the Proverbs. Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. All of us have known people who lived righteous lives, but their lives were very brief. We have also known people who were truly wicked, who lived really long lives. 1221 says, no harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked will have their fill of trouble. And yet we all know righteous people whose lives have been touched by tragedy. And we know wicked people who seem to skate through the entirety of their lives with absolute ease. Proverbs 15.1 says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. But I can tell you, I have given a few gentle answers that invited greater wrath. (laughs) And I'm guessing you have as well. 15.22 says plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And yet, you've seen plans with many advisors that have not been successful. 1631 says that gray hair is attained by a righteous life, meaning length of years is a reward for righteous living. You know what? There are an awful lot of unrighteous people with gray hair. 
And uh, the observation of, of uh, one theologian by the name of Billy Joel led him to, to this observation, only the good die young. <laughs> you thought there was a theologian named Billy Joel, didn't you? <laughs> All right. Proverbs 20.13 says, Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. And yet we've all known someone who was really lazy, but through some means not of their own doing, maybe family wealth, maybe a uh, uh, lottery winner, you know, who knows what it is, but some, some means not of their own doing, they had more than they could sleep away. <laughs> 21, <laughs> 21 5 says the plans of the diligent lead to profit. And yet, you've likely known a few diligent people who really did not experience much profitability. Another one, twenty-two, twenty-nine. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. And yet, you observe, I'm skilled at my work. I see no kings. Train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Yet you're doing the best you know to do, or you did the best you knew to do. You honored God in your home, and yet your child is far from God. Their life is a mess. And some of you are troubled now. You're thinking, Brian, you stand up here every week and you tell us to believe the Bible. What are you doing You seem to be saying that the Proverbs aren't true. I am not saying that. The Bible is true. The Bible is infallible, rightly understood. And we do not understand the Proverbs rightly, correctly, if we take them as absolute promises, because they are not. And that is all I'm trying to demonstrate. So if we're not to understand the Proverbs as absolute promises, if that's not what they are, then what are they? What is a proverb? Here is what a proverb is. It is a God-inspired observation of what is generally, usually true. A life lived righteously is generally going to result in a longer life than a life of hard living. You by living unrighteously. A gentle answer will generally turn away wrath. Plans with a lot of counsel generally succeed, at least with much greater frequency than, than those lacking counsel. Laziness does generally lead to poverty, and diligence will generally lead to profit. Your odds are greatly improved of avoiding poverty if you're not lazy. And your odds are greatly improved of seeing profit if you are a diligent person. Someone skilled in their field will generally be recognized for it. And someone who trains their child in the way that he or she should go will generally, often, usually, see that child on the right path But it isn't a guarantee. That is not what the Proverbs are. 
They are God-inspired observations of what is generally true of how you can greatly increase the odds of the outcome that you desire. So how should we rightly understand Proverbs 22.6? We should first of all understand it as an encouragement toward proactive parenting. It is absolutely teaching that the best way, the best chance you have to, to end up with good and godly kids is not to leave it to chance. It's not to uh, allow the kid to chart their own course through childhood. It is to train them, to be active, to be involved, to be thoughtful and intentional about their development. And that's why there is this emphasis on discipline as it relates to children throughout the Proverbs. Discipline is an indication of active involvement of a parent, of shaping and, and molding, of pointing in the right direction. And some of the best parenting advice that you can receive, some of the the best guidance on proactive parenting is found in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Uh, Those should appear on the screen, and here's what those verses say. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You want to be a good parent? First of all, believe in the one true God. Love that God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Embrace the commandments of God. Take them into your heart and impress those commandments upon your children. Talk about them. When sitting at home, when walking along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Be proactive. Be intentional. Keep at it. Be consistent. Believe in God. Love God. Obey God. And teach your children to believe in God. Love God and obey God. Teach them by talking to them constantly be proactive in their training. This is the best you can, can do to influence your children in a good and godly direction. And so Proverbs 22.6 is an encouragement toward proactive parenting, and it is a God-ordained, God-inspired observation on how to improve the odds of raising good and godly kids. It is not a guarantee of the outcome. It is simply a God-inspired observation of what you can do to increase the likelihood that your kids grow up good and godly. So you want to give your kids the best chance. Be proactive, train them, teach them about God, that he's real, that he loves them, that they should obey him, that they should love him. Train them morning, noon, and night. Pray with them, guide them, discipline them. They need you to do everything that you can. But sometimes you do everything you know to do. By any fair assessment, you are or you were good and godly parents. And yet your kids grow up not walking with the Lord, perhaps their lives being even really messed up. How is it that people can be good parents... And kids still go down the wrong path. 
Well, there are a few important things that I think we do well to remember, and the, the first couple that I want to mention here speak to this question of how kids can, can go wrong even when their parents were good and godly and provided a good and godly home environment. First of all, we have to remember, and we forget this, we have to remember that kids are not born a clean slate. They are not born a blank slate Kids are not born innocent. They're just not. Our children start out as sinners. David, the great prophet, priest, and king, who sinned on a grand scale and wrote this beautiful prayer of repentance that we know is the 51st Psalm. Within that, he said, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We convince ourselves that our kids are innocent, but it isn't true. Every single one of us and every single one of our children from the earliest moments of existence are selfish people bent on getting our way No matter who we have to run over to get it, mom, dad, sister, brother, God. Your cute little baby, whether you realize it or not, and if you haven't, they're probably only a day old, (laughs) is a cute little bundle of selfishness. Determined to bend you and the entire universe to its will. (laughs) The point here is that raising good and especially godly children is way beyond our ability. To end up with godly children goes beyond the ability of even God-indwelled parents. And it requires the supernatural transaction that happens when someone yields their life to God by turning to Christ in faith. You can create an environment. You you can parent in such a way that you give the child every advantage in being open to that. But there is a supernatural transaction of the child yielding their will to the will of God that can only take place between the child and God himself. So if your child is a good and godly child, you can feel good about the role you played. But you should have a pretty big dose of humility. Understanding that the best parent, a good and godly child, is a result of an awful lot of grace. No matter how well you did, you are the recipient of a lot of grace. And if your child today cannot be described as good and godly, you can be free from guilt if you're able to honestly say that you did the best you could. And you can be filled with hope today because the same gracious God who apprehended your life is never going to give up his loving pursuit of the child who you love so much. Secondly, many parents whose kids are not where they hope they would be 
and they feel guilty as a result of that, need to give themselves a break, and realize that no parents have ever created a perfect home environment. Very good, maybe, but not perfect. And then here's another realization that I hope can help to break you free from guilt today, and that is that you need to realize that even when there was a perfect environment, it still was not enough to restrain the sinfulness of the human will. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden should permanently debunk the myth that a godly environment guarantees godly kids. Adam and Eve had a perfect environment. They had a perfect father. They lived in an environment completely void of sin. There had never been sin. And with all those advantages, they went astray. And they came to the place where their only hope was the grace of God. Now, friends, if that environment can't guarantee godly people, then you need to relieve yourself of the guilt that somehow you're the reason that your kids aren't serving God. Here's a third important thing to remember. And in spite of all that I'm saying here today, and, and uh, I certainly hope everyone is re- receiving this the way that uh, I, I, I hope that you are, uh, it, but in spite of all that I've said, in spite of the fact that parenting is not a simplistic thing, in spite of the fact that godly uh, children are the result of more than just proper parenting, in spite of the fact that something supernatural has to happen for kids to become godly kids, it remains true that parenting matters. Nothing that I'm saying here today should be taken to mean that parenting doesn't matter. You parent are in a position to have the most positive influence over your child that anyone could possibly have. And you have to take that seriously. And just as there are people here today who need to be freed from guilt... There are some of you here today who who need to accept that mantle of parenting and take it more seriously than what you are. If your kids are still in your home and the evidence so far is that they're not doing well, you've got to step up. You've got to, to take this seriously. You've got to be more proactive. You've got to pray. You've got to lead. You've got to discipline. All toward the goal of giving your child the greatest chance, creating the the, the best environment you can, improving the odds the most you can of your child turning out good and godly. You need to make it as easy as you can make it for your child to be receptive to Jesus Christ. And finally, you need to examine your parenting and you need to do so honestly. If it isn't what it should be and you know that, then you need to repent. You need to change. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to help you become the parent that God wants you to be. And if you're here today and your children are already grown, and right now they can't be described as good or godly, or maybe they can be described as good, but they're certainly not godly, they aren't walking with the Lord, you need to examine your parenting. If you did damage to your kids, you objectively know that you did damage to your kids. You might need to apologize. And then you need to ask God to show you what you can do, even at what feels like this late stage, 
What can I do to give my adult children the best chance of still becoming the people that God wants them to be? You need to pray daily that God would be gracious toward your kids, that he would grant them the gift of faith, that he would bring them to a place where in spite of any shortcomings that you had, in spite of the sinfulness of their own hearts, that they would respond to his grace and yield their lives fully to him. Parents who followed the advice of Proverbs 22.6 and are pleased with where your kids are, you should feel good about the role that you played in your kids' lives. But you should be humble enough to know that there was a lot more at work in the development of your kids than just your parenting. And you need to break free today from a judgmental attitude toward those parents whose kids are not in a good place. You need to understand that it is very possible that some parent whose child is struggling did or is doing just as good a job as you, but the results have not been the same, and that does not contradict Scripture. And parents whose kids are not where you want them to be, you need to honestly examine yourself. If you're making mistakes or didn't make mistakes, own up to it. But know that Proverbs 22.6 does not mean that you were a bad parent just because your kids have not turned out good and godly. If you can look yourself in the mirror and say you did the best you could, you love the Lord, you taught your child about the Lord, you provided not a perfect but a good and godly environment, then today I believe that if you've been weighed down by guilt about the condition of your child, God wants to set you free from that guilt. And while there aren't any guarantees, I wish I could offer guarantees. I cannot offer you a guarantee that your child is going to turn toward God. But even though there are no guarantees... In addition to setting you free from guilt, what I believe God wants to do today is I think he wants to renew your confidence in how much he loves your child. And he wants to renew your hope that he is busy at work drawing your child to himself. Larry Osborne tells the story of some friends of he and his wife who had two children early in their marriage who all through childhood were absolutely model kids. Just excellent. Became model adults. They grew up to love the Lord. They were just excellent people in every sense. He says that this parenting success caused this friend to become very opinionated. He, he had a lot of answers on how to raise good and godly kids. And whenever he found a friend of his whose kids were struggling, he he was very quick to offer parenting advice. And it often was offered with a very harsh tone. He had it all figured out, and he could not figure out why everybody else was struggling so much. Then when they were in their 40s, they had a surprise child. They employed all the same parenting techniques, but this child was not responsive. If there was a tantrum to throw, this child threw it. If there was a rule to break, this child broke it. This child was completely impervious 
to these wonderful parenting techniques that the man and woman had learned with child one and child two. This friend learned that it is not as simple as he once thought, and he deeply regretted his previous harshness toward others. Larry Osborne himself says that before he had children, he would have titled a sermon on parenting like this, Ten Rules for Raising Godly Kids. But he notes that birth by birth, the titles of his sermons sermons changed. The progression went something like this. First one, Ten Rules for Raising Godly Kids. Second one, Ten Guidelines for Raising Good Kids. Third one, Five Principles for Raising Kids. Fourth one, Three Suggestions for Surviving Parenthood. You get the idea. I want to kind of wrap up here today with something else that Osborne writes on this topic that I think very nicely sums up everything that I've tried to share with you today. He writes this, When godly parents do the best they can and yet fail to achieve the outcome they hoped for, they need a break, not a drive-by guilting. And when things go well, we need a lot more gratitude and a lot less pride. So if you're a parent, give it your best shot. Then go take a nap. And if you've already given it your best shot, take a long nap. (laughs) You deserve it. So parents, especially those of you who really desire to see a change in where your kids are today, Do the best you can. That is all you can do. Trust God. And rest in the knowledge that God loves you. And rest in the knowledge that God loves your child. Why don't you stand